Let's bind. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you once again for gathering us together this way as family in the unity of the faith and the peace that your Son has given us. Thank you for your promises of blessings. Thank you for the little things that we are able to enjoy, to laugh about, to rejoice in. And that's what your word says, rejoice always. Father, thank you for this opportunity to dine on the very bread of life this morning. Truth that sets us free, Father, while the world is running away from your son, we embrace him. We just are so very grateful and thankful for opportunities like this to gather together. We pray especially for those that can't be with us this morning who would like to be, who earnestly desire to be. Our hearts go out to them. We pray that they're able to get this morning's message somehow, some way, through technology otherwise. We pray also for those that are still lost, that we might be given the divine appointment to evangelize them, that we might spend all of eternity with them as brothers and sisters in Christ. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for the vehicle that makes all this available to us on a morning like this, that is, your son's sacrifice on a cross that canceled out that debt against us, that reconciled us to, to you, restored us to good relationship with you. We do just ask for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, this morning's message is a continuation of a series that we started a while back. Obviously, it's part 17 of Why the Apostles So Encouraging with focus on by grace they were prepared. And we are encouraged by that because by grace we need to be prepared. We also have a commission on our lives that is different, fundamentally the same, spread the good news about Jesus Christ as gospel but the circumstances are different. Um, but nonetheless, we can learn an awful lot and be encouraged an awful lot by what we see in Scripture regarding these chosen few. Uh, before we do that, though, I did want to share one thing that I posted this morning as I was driving in. and um, you, you take it for what, you, however you'd like to take it. This is something I posted on Facebook this morning. Quote, the persistent ex, the one-night stand, the annoying suitor, the rebound guy, the sugar daddy. This is the way most so-called Christians treat Jesus. That's true. He's a cast-off. He's a secondary. And that is awful to, to think about, but those are the kind of things that cross my heart. Uh, even as joyful as it is to gather together uh, the way we do, um, this is how I see most people treating our Lord. It's awful. Anyways, food for thought. Boy, that brought everyone down, didn't it? Because it's a real thing to think about, so just think that way. We began on Thursday with this as well. If the countries of the world were a people, America would likely be crowned the ruler. 
which means that we sit down daily to dine with this ruler being Americans. Go to Proverbs 23, verse 1. Proverbs 23, verse 1. <clears throat> Proverbs 23, verse 1. And read this, you know, as if it was being written to you, which it was. Proverbs 23.1, when you sit down to dine with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you. And again, this country, we might consider and personify our own country, this society that we live in as the ruler of the free world, so to speak. So when you sit down to dine with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you. And put a knife to your throat, that means curb your appetites. If you are a man of great appetite, do not desire his delicacies, for it is deceptive food. Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings, like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. Do not eat the bread of a selfish man or desire his delicacies. For as he thinks within himself, so he is. He says to you, eat and drink, but his heart is not with you. Look at verse 17. 17. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but live in fear of the Lord always. Do not let your heart envy sinners. Be careful who you dine with. Be careful who you keep company with. And that's not a legalistic statement. That's for your own good. That's from the Lord who loves you. Do not envy sinners. What's there to envy? But live in the fear of the Lord always. On Thursday, we read the whole of Proverbs 23, and I recommend you do the same, making all the appropriate ties to our own society even. For this is one of the key reasons we even study the Bible. To hear the Word speak to us through ancient text, knowing that the Lord's heart has never changed. While the world tries tirelessly to eradicate the Word from penetrating the deepest recesses of the soul, the Word states it cannot. The world would love to eradicate the Word's ability to penetrate the deepest recesses of the soul. But the Word itself says it's impossible. Go to Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12. And that is the beauty. You're not going to penetrate the heart of another individual, but the Word that you give them will. Whether they accept it, whether they tell you that it has isn't the issue. But the Word says it can and it will. Hebrews 4.12 <clears throat> For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You can't do that, but the Word can. 
And there is no creature, you got that? There is no creature hidden from his sight. That means anyone that you give the word of God to, whether it's popular or not, is not the issue. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That's the magnificence of the Word of God. The Word itself is omnipotent. That means it's all-powerful. And so we get to enjoy it as we spread it amongst those in this world. For that is our job, remember? We are ambassadors for Christ. That's what we're here to do. Spread the Word. Spread the good news specifically about Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. We are ambassadors. We are representatives of His grace and truth, for that's how the Word describes Him, full of grace and truth. Up here on the board, John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. We are to abide in the simple fact that we are not bearing the brunt of the load in this fight. Thank God. We are not to stand out in the power of our flesh and fight battles that we cannot win under our own power. Go to Ephesians 6.10. Ephesians 6.10. We can't win that battle. I hope you see that. We cannot. Our evidence is all around us. Individuals who think they can. Who lose every day. And then they just try another angle. And then they just try another angle. And then another angle. Until they're completely exhausted. They never win. You know, like the weak women, always learning but never coming to the truth. Yeah. Ephesians 6.10 Finally, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. That's an important statement. Ephesians 6.10 Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that, there you go, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. That's an important instruction. Because if you think you can Win that one. When the Word of God says resist the devil, put on the full armor of God. If you think you can do that without doing these things, you are sadly, sadly mistaken up here on the board. So that without the full armor armor of God, we are far too weak to defend the truth even. Satan and the kingdom of darkness is far too cunning, far too good at, let's call it, lawyering. Again, so that. Put on the full armor of God so that. Because without the full armor of God, we are far too weak to defend the truth. Satan in the kingdom of darkness is far too cunning, far too good at lawyering. That means if you're not taking in the word of God, how will you ever put something on that doesn't exist in your life? How will you ever don something? How will you put on Jesus Christ even 
if you fail to pick up that thing that you're supposed to be putting on. Jesus Christ, we just read that in John 1.14, right? He is the Word. Do you want to put on Christ like, like Scripture says in duo? you want to put Him on? Then you have to have Him. You have to do what you're doing right now. You have to read your own Bibles. You have to pick up the blood. Whatever grace is being given to you, you have to take it. Thirst for it. And if you're not thirsty for truth, something's wrong with you. Something's wrong with your spiritual life. Somewhere, somehow, you've been fooled into thinking you can make this thing work for you under your own strength. And that would be ignoring verse 10. Completely. And then, of course, subsequently, verse 11. Because if you think you can win these battles in your own might, then you'll never put on the full armor of God. There won't be a necessity for it as far as you're concerned. So that, it's an important statement. Look at verse 12. Why all this? Because this is real. This is a war. This is battle, my friends. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having, this is how you're able to stand firm, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, which, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Whew. That's how you stand firm. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Talk about family. And pray on my behalf, says Paul, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. I know what Paul's saying there. He's saying, I'm a minister of this gospel. Pray for me. Pray for me, he says. Pray for me. I'm asking you, pray for me if you don't already, please. The assaults are horrible. And they're consistent and persistent. The things that I have to say are not popular. They're not even close to being popular. Honest to goodness, I, it's, un, it's incredible. It's like literally saying, I don't know, this is, I, I don't know, I don't even know how to explain it. It's completely orthogonal, like completely over there. While the rest of the world's over here. So Paul says, I may, so that, pray for me so that I may speak boldly. That is the same end goal that we ought to pray for, not just for ourselves, but for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We ought to speak boldly of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray for that. Pray that when Anne goes out, that she can might have the, you know, the strength and the conviction while she's handing somebody a little piece of goodness in a bag. 
that she can also speak to them about Jesus. And if you know Ann, she's shy. She loves it when I do this, aren't you? <laughs> Ann, you want to stand up and come up here? <laughs> Right? Pray for people. We're all doing this thing. I know, I know I can tell by looking at many of you and talking to many of you as well that it's a little scary going out beyond these four walls. It's just like this little cocoon. No, I, I like the way you started class. I like that whole family thing. We come together, we eat, you know, we eat uh, uh, whatever that stuff Brenda makes. What's that called again? Quiche? I don't know, Portuguese sausage quiche. I don't know, whatever is with some potatoes and peppers in there. We just come together, we eat, and, you know, oh, you got something on your lip. Oh, thank you. you know. Oh, isn't this nice? But then we don't like to go outside. It's almost like zip it up. That's it. Nope, this is our spiritual life in these little, in these four walls, and that's the end of it. But that's not the end of it. You know this by now. This is where we come to get patched up, to be reinvigorated, to be fueled up. The battle's out there. So I pray for you that you are able to speak boldly. And you should pray for others the same way. This is not a novel concept, though it seems to be, in contemporary Christian churches, many of which teach a perverted gospel and a perverted perspective on why God leaves us here after salvation. It's incredible. How many churches, think about this, how many churches are taking millions of dollars in based on the so-called prosperity gospel. How many are teaching that simply attending church is the fulfillment of one's duty to God? How many are contributing to the ruin of its congregants by teaching them that they can abide in both the world and in Christ and live a peaceful life? This is why Paul wanted his disciples to pray that he might speak boldly. Which we know, you know Paul, he really did. He really did. I guess prayer works, huh? Imagine that. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. So the Spirit reminded us that our primary goal in life after salvation is really to spread the gospel. That's why we come to church. So that you can be reminded of the magnitude of the commission that's on your life. That all those little details of life that no active duty soldier should be entangled with. The ones that you just came from, you know, your house, your garden, your car, your kids, you know, all that stuff doesn't even compare. Doesn't even compare to saving one soul. But yet you'd think, you'd think it means everything. Spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't something we do while we're mugging up on the couch with our so-called girlfriends or boyfriends even. 
And as a side note, please ensure you read the latest blog titled, The Bible Says to Run Away. Talk about making friends. <laughs> Talk about being over there. When literally the vast majority of Christian churches are over there. In brief, not only is American dating an abomination, it's a complete distraction. It's a complete distraction. Not only is God displeased with it, because the type of sinning that it produces in everybody involved, but it's also, just think about it, God's just not this big fist who says, you know, I said so, so don't do it, or else I'm going to punch you and you're going to get a bruise. And you're really, I'm, you're, I'm really angry because you disobeyed me. That's there. That might be discipline. But God is love. The Bible doesn't say that God is disciplined. It says God is love. He loves you enough, like I do right now, as a vessel for Him, to say, that's garbage. And it doesn't matter what your parents or your grandparents or your ridiculously perverted church tells you, all that is garbage. So run away from it. Because you don't have the strength <laughs> to conquer it. And if it's not from God, then guess what? It's evil. What would you like me to do? You want me to lie to you about stuff like that? And it's not just about the dating thing. That seems to be a huge, huge problem. You want me to lie? Or do you want to pray for the, my boldness? What do you want, family of mine? I'm serious. What do you want? Do you want truth? Or do you want me to lie to you? You want me to, you want me to damage you like everybody else in your, your life has done to you? You want me to damage you? You're going to tell you lies? You're going to tell you to not run away from such things, from youthful lust? You're going to say, stick right there. You've got the power, kiddo. You can do it. Just don't have sex, though. Mm -mm 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 -mm. You're going to lie to you? What do you want from me? Those are the questions, and those are the exact same things that Paul would say. He, say, he would say, how do you want me to come to you? Remember? How would you like that I come to you? So these things, you know, dating aside, these are a perfect illustration of how selfish people really are. How selfish people really are. For who wants to engage in something that makes another, possibly a weaker person, stumble time and time again? You want to know who? A selfish person. That's who. Selfishness. An arrogant person never asks, what do you need in a vacuum? There's always a pre- or post-analysis that includes often silently. And what's in it for me? A humble person simply realizes that a person needs Christ, his gospel, regardless of the personal cost to give it to them. They do so.
Go to Philippians 2.3. Philippians 2.3. Making friends. I don't care. Honestly, I don't care. What you do with the truth after you receive it is between you and the Lord. Philippians 2.3. I hope out of love that you take it the way it ought to be taken. But again, that's between you and the Lord. Philippians 2.3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Well, that's a major leap for a lot of people. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. That means that even your daily activities, what you say, what you do, you should always be looking at what is this going to do to the people that I'm engaged with? How's this going to affect them? Is it going to make them stumble? How's this going to affect them? That's what living for others looks like. Paul said, I become all things all men to what? To actually save some. Think about that. How's this going to affect another person? As we've noted all along in our last series, when subjectivity becomes the culturally accepted norm, manifest selfishness, we are taught at a very young age to architect a life that funnels all perceived, emphasis on perceived, goodness to our own accounts. If our, quote, successes happen to benefit others, we are taught to take credit for that too, as yet another addition to our account. So in other words, funnel everything to your account. That is manifest selfishness. We are taught at a very young age to architect the whole life that funnels all perceived goodness to our account. And oh, by the way, as a side note, if our successes in doing so happen to benefit others, grab that too, because you can get some mileage out of that too. Why'd you help the old lady across the street? You don't really care about her. You cared about everybody watching you, or you keep talking about it for a month later. Did you see when I walked that old lady across the street? Did you see that? Did I tell you about the time I walked the old lady across the street? Shut up. Big deal. Honest to God, what'd you do it for? Obviously, you did it for you. Did you see? Did you, did you see? I'm just saying, I know it's kind of a little bit messed up, but did you see how much I gave to the India trip? Did you act? Did you see? Shh, don't, don't tell anybody, but I gave this much. What kind of jackass does that? A selfish one. That's how we are. It, it, it requires discipline to get out of that mode and start thinking for others. It really does. It's, it's, it's a massive undertaking. It's literally a surrender. You know, like Jesus said, it's a surrender of the self-life. I'm no longer living for other people. I mean, for myself, I'm living for other people. And lo and behold, since Jesus never lied, um, it's more blessed to give than to receive. But I do give. Yeah, but you give in a vacuum. 
those are the kind of thoughts that have been sort of percolating up in our studies. We're just taught these things at a very young age. And so it takes undoing, and it requires persistence. And under the paradigm on the board, the very context of, quote, goodness becomes subjective. Think about that. The very context, the concept of goodness becomes subjective, not based on the Word of God. How can funneling everything to your account, to your benefit, be objective? In other words, if our flesh perceives something as good for our flesh, then we simply tag it good and pursue it to its desired end. That's what the Bible calls, you ready? The lust of the flesh. It does everything with all greediness. You remember that? That's the lust of the flesh. It's greedy. The flesh is ridiculous. The, the flesh is so greedy. It's so greedy. It just says, I just, just funnel it all to me. Gimme, 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 gimme. You got something for me? Give it to me. But but that's my virtue. I don't care. Give it to me. I gotta conquer everything. That's the lust of the flesh. It's the greediest, most self-absorbed, selfish, egocentric turd ever. <laughs> and everybody's got it, right? It's awful. That's the lust of the flesh. It likes to re-architect words and definitions so that they suit us, right? Whatever, what, seriously, whatever happened, not to harp on this too much, but I don't mind. Whatever happened to biblical courting? Whatever happened to it? Whatever happened to courting for marriage? Nothing else. Whatever happened to sex in marriage? Never, ever, anywhere else. Whatever happened to that stuff? The lust of the flesh got a hold of it. That's what happened. Our society got a hold of it. That's what happened. The Apostle John had a little something to say about this. Go to 1 John 2.16. 1 John 2.16. This is manifest selfishness. I want what you have, so give it to me. Huh, that doesn't sound like living for others at all. Sounds like living for self. 1 John 2.16 For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. Let me say that. Let me, let's read that again, just in case you missed it. Because this is important. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father. Do you get that? It's not from, it's not from Dad. 
Dad would never do that to us. He doesn't want us to trip up. He doesn't want us to stumble. He doesn't want us to gouge scars in ourselves. He doesn't want us to do those things. Those things are from the world. Verse 17, the world is passing away, and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Thank God for that. We are told in Holy Scripture that the devices of man and the manifestations of the flesh will increasingly dominate the landscape as time marches on. Go to 2 Timothy 3.1. 2 Timothy 3.1. This is what Scripture tells us, that we're in a sort of a, a one-way direction, if you would. Right? If this was the stock market, it'd look like this. You know, you'd be like, there might be little trends, little blips, like, oh, there's some hope. No, there ain't. Oh, there's, no, there ain't. It just goes, we're just crashing down. But so-and-so, yeah, like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. No, no. Overall, this stock market's crashing. And that's the way it's designed, because that's what is prophesied. 2 Timothy 3.1, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come for men. This reads like a, a, an autobiography of our country. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, Lovers of pleasure, that includes sexual pleasure, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Holding to a form of godliness, oh, a lot of these people go to church on Sundays, a lot of them are listening to somebody right now, but they could care less. They hold to some form of godliness. I might be, I might be talking to someone right now in the family that would fit this bill. I don't know. They hold fast to a form of godliness although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. For we Americans, what or that means to avoid our... Think about that. Avoid such men as these. For we Americans, that means avoid, not in the sense of giving them the gospel, because you should be trying to give everybody the gospel. Avoid such men as these means avoid your average neighbor even. Verse 6, and this is where we ended on Thursday. <clears throat> For among them are those who enter into households. And Paul, in context here, was speaking of false teachers even. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses. Up here on the board, weak women, transliteration is gynecaria, gyna, gynecologists, women, this word specifically speaks to women, not men. In context, Paul is pointing out the easiest prey, the, quote, weaker vessels. 1 Peter 3, 7. Why do you think Satan uses feminism as his Trojan horse today? That's all I see. Maybe you think I'm crazy. I don't care again. But this is honest to goodness what I see. And it makes a whole lot of sense because sin has gotten to the point where it's dominating everyone. Remember the base of, of feminism, Tashuka, remember that? It just wants to dominate. 
that which is supposed to be the authority, which, like it or lump it, ladies, is the men, is a masculine concept. Go ahead, ladies, shake it out. <laughs> Go ahead. I won't look. The only reason you would have to shake that out is because you've been trained. You've been trained by a country that embraces feminism. And I'm not talking about beautiful ladies. I'm talking about the vile creatures. I'm talking about that ideology that exists in today's society. The one that, you know, kicks down little kids like my son. I don't want to call you a little kid. But wants Sean to grow up to be a little wimp with a virtual vagina and tell him, no, I'm serious, and tell him, you're nothing, you're useless. You may be able to reproduce and, and get a paycheck. That's all we need out of you. So shoo away because you're this useless little king of queens guy. Oh, everybody loves Raymond. Candy. Despicable wimp. That's what I'm talking about. Turn on the television. Every single television show and every single commercial even shows some wimpy, pathetic little thing. Like a dish rag on the side. <laughs> Here's my paycheck. What's wrong with you people? No, seriously. That's what our country stands for. Why do you think there was such an outburst in this last election, not to get political? Because God forbid some Christian values actually came back were somehow embodied in the guy that actually got elected. I'm not saying he's awesome, but he represented certain values. Why do you think there's so much crying in feministic outbursts? Why? Because it's not about Donald Trump. It's about Jesus Christ. God forbid the fingerprint of Jesus Christ is anywhere on this country. Because the, the feminists, and oh, by the way, men, I would argue that there's just as many men feminists as women. This is not exclusive to women, so don't feel all condemned, ladies. I'm talking about feminism. I'm talking about an, an ideology These people are rejecting Jesus Christ. And so, and so, verse 7, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Up here on the board, always learning. In context, Paul is referring to those women who vacillate between subjective societal norms. That's why they're emotional basket cases. Even today, many have come out saying they feel pressured to be less like the women God made them to be by feminists in general. In other words, to be a godly woman today, I'm talking about one that is described right here. And for the record, I don't think men are any better than women. At all. At all. That's not what this is all about. That's what the world wants you to believe, that I'm preaching that. But I'm not preaching that. I know that would be more convenient for that little flesh that's rearing its head in some of you ladies right now. I know that'd be convenient for you because then you could say, that bald guy's an idiot. He's just trying to downtrodden women. No, I'm not. You're a jerk. You have no idea my heart on this situation. None. 
If you think that's me, you are lost. You might as well go somewhere else right now. You need to get up, go. Now. Go! I'm serious. If you think that's me, you're on crack. And that's not this. That's the whole point. This says women are gorgeous, beautiful creations of God with tremendous value to the body. Value that men can't give. I've never heard of a man giving birth. So stop. Stop buying the lies. Stop, stop always learning from out there and then wondering why you're miserable. That's why. Because you're always learning out there. Because you're weak. That's the problem. And then some of you come to a, a class like this and you're like, this dude is out of control. I think it's time, honey. Time we go look. Go. See you later. Otherwise, sit there, shut up, and listen to the truth. Because it's the truth that'll what? Amen. I'm just a messenger. Always learning. In context, Paul is referring to those women who vacillate between subjective societal norms, and then they're tortured. Then they're broken up about it. They can't even put their finger on why they're so miserable. And again, you don't have to be a female to be a feminist. That I know. I'd argue there is just as many male feminists out there as female ones. So I'm not trying to bash women. This is an ancient topic, my friends. An ancient one. Changing gears a little bit. As we begin traveling back up out of the mine shaft, let's grab a few related principles along the way. We have to get back here eventually, right? It is part 17. Hopefully some of these will sound familiar at least, so just shake it off. Let's move on back a little bit here. Losing freedom. Sin is designed to create ties that bind us to worldly things. It is designed to rob us of the freedom that Christ has afforded every believer. That's Galatians 5.1. Conversely, some, these are repeat principles, by the way. I'm just trying to get you back to where we were. Conversely, freedom exists in those moments when we lose our ties to the world and cling solely to Christ. So some of these principles, most will attest, aren't always that simple, though, are they? It's not, in the most practical sense. I mean, because we have so much momentum like a train in, in this direction. And the Word of God forks, and it's hard. It's not that easy necessarily in, in a practical sense. God never says that everything is going to be overnight. Some of you are still chewing on the dating thing. That's okay. It took me years to figure it out as well. Most will agree that progressive sanctification is wrought with difficulties along the way. So all I can tell you is expect it. Expect it. It's not always easy. But just don't give up. 
See? Just don't give up. And beyond that, learn the lessons along the way up here on the board. True conviction passes through real discomfort. We ended with this a few weeks back now. True conviction. Do you want that kind of conviction that Paul had? How about Jesus? Did he ever suffer? What does the Bible say about our suffering? Is it supposed to be like Jesus's? Yep. Yep. True conviction passes through real discomfort. Romans 5, 3 to 5, James 1, 2 to 4, 5, 11, 1 Peter 1, 6 to 9. Paul went so far to say that we ought to exult in such things. Go to Romans 5, 3. Seriously? We're supposed to be like rejoicing in difficulty? Yeah. Yeah. With the right perspective, any kind of difficulty um, can be used for good. Even if, think about it, even if you're the bozo that puts yourself in that difficulty, you can't change yesterday, so what are you going to do? You got this situation you're in. Now what are you going to do about it, though? Well, it'd be really hard to get out of that situation. Um, so, do it. I'm not talking about walking away from family or children. That's, don't be an idiot. I'm talking about walking away from things that shouldn't be a part of your life. And especially people that shouldn't be part of your life. You want to try to evangelize an unbeliever? Go for it. But don't date them. Don't hang out with them. Don't become friends with them. Because what does the world say? If you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. I didn't say that. Go read James. I haven't said anything this morning that isn't in the Bible. Ain't that an awesome thing? Yeah. Romans 5.3 And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. That's kind of useful. But I, I like the perseverance thing, yay! But I don't like the tribulation thing. Well, the Bible says to get the perseverance, you've got to go through the tribulation. Darn it! I think I'll just quit. Go, quit. Wimp. Chris is like, I'm no wimp! I'm right here! Not only this... But we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. Who doesn't want hope? And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. How about James 1, 2? Go there, James 1, verse 2. Again, the point of the board, true conviction passes through real discomfort. James 1, verse 2. All the Spirit's doing is just saying, wake up. Can we just call a spade a spade? If we're going to gather together like a family like this, like we are, then let's just be honest. You know what I'm saying? There's nothing worse than gathering, sitting, all right. What's worse than sitting around a table and one person's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And everybody else is like, seriously, seriously. What's worse than gathering around a table when there's a certain kind of intimate fellowship and one person's being an ignoramus? Do you follow? Intervention! 
<laughs> James 1, 2. Consider, that's what it feels like sometimes, honestly, from up here. Feels like an intervention, but anyways. James 1, 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter what? Various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance, something good. You see that? And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Oh, you mean if I want to lack in nothing, if I want to be matured, I have to go through this stuff? Yeah. And part of that is actually shedding the old self. Right? And honestly, some people do that quicker than others. And it's literally a function of what's the key to the spiritual life? It's literally a function of humility. That's why you'll see, even in our own family, some people will accelerate like a bat out of hell. No, don't, you know what I mean. I'm not talking about meatloaf. Like a bat out of hell, right? Right? And some will be like stuck. I see that. I've seen it throughout the years already. That some people are like, and they don't even stop. They just keep like, and then some people are like, you know, and they kind of hold back. Why? Because they don't want to let go of the self-life. It's that simple. They don't want to go through that pain. They don't have the humility because they're arrogant. And then someone, someone loves them enough to tell them the truth like I'm doing right now, and they go, poo-poo on you. I don't want to hear it. What do you want me to do? Honestly, lock you up in like a closet? What am I going to do? I can't do anything. That's between you and the Lord. But I do know what Scripture says. True conviction passes through real discomfort. Go to James 5.11. James 5.11. Here's how I look at people that have endured. Many of you have gone through some things over the last few years that really have, frankly, changed your entire lives. I have seen several people... It was almost like they were having a breakdown. Honest to goodness. Like, like having like a... I don't even know how to say it. They didn't actually end up like in an institution or anything, but they were literally having like a whole person breakdown. Several people. And on the other side of that, because they stayed humble, they're like a new person. And then it's magnificent. I don't know. It, I guess everybody goes through their own thing. I've shared with you many times. I went through a period of time well over a decade ago. I, I was a mess. He just ripped me apart. He says, there's no way I can use you behind a pulpit. And I said, I rip you down to your knees. And I said, I got to give up all this? Yeah, what of it? Who the heck do you think gave it to you, jackass? I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it was horrible. But it was only horrible because I was white-knuckling my self-life. And he was just going like this, fingernails and all. Oh, oh. Some of you are still holding on. That's all I can tell you. We, look at verse 11, James 5, 11. We, all I can tell you too, is the sooner you let go, the better off you'll be. Okay. James 5, 11. We count those blessed who endured. That's right. Blessed. You're blessed if you endure. Endure what? tribulation. Well, you have to be on the gridiron to actually endure the game, right? If you run off the game and, you know, you, you know, 
You just run off the field every time you're put to the test. I mean, you didn't endure anything. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. I suppose in many ways he rejoices the way, you know, when he sees his angels rejoicing that someone like Job or anybody who goes through suffering makes it to the other side. Why? Because it was by the grace and mercy of God that they survived the whole ordeal. And that brings glory to God. Look at 1 Peter 1.6. 1 Peter 1.6. And everybody's different. That's the thing. And the one thing I'll give you as well as you're turning, 1 Peter 1.6, never judge another person. It's always relative. Do you understand? I was trying to explain this to someone the other day. It's always relative. Like, if you have a horrible weakness, you could be like, you know, and I'm not talking religiously, but hopefully you get what I'm saying. You could be like amazing in all aspects of your life. And you just really, let's face it, have an awful weakness in this one area. And that weakness might be someone else's strength. So that, and then they look at you and they're like, what's wrong with you? What, what's wrong with you? Why, can, you know, why, why can't you stop smoking crack? No, I'm, you laugh, but I mean, it's true. Why can't you stop doing this thing? It's literally the person's greatest weakness. So we can't judge them. This is between them and the Lord. And tearing them away is a big deal for them. You know how many addictions there are in this world? You know how ridiculous it is? If I had my cell phone, I'd hold it up and go, here's one. Here's one. But everybody in here has some kind of a weird addiction, right? And I don't want to know what they are, by the way. But everybody has like some, you can keep that off the table, okay? Everybody has some weird addiction that's really hard for them to get rid of. Don't judge them. 1 Peter 1.6, in this you greatly rejoice. Now, okay, now I've got to say one more thing. Balance statement. Don't take that as some excuse to continue in your little perversion. Oh, see, you don't understand me. I'm just going to keep doing this thing. Don't, t- don't judge me. I'm not judging, you know what I'm saying? Maybe for your own benefit. I'm just saying. So don't, don't use that as a crutch either. Grace is grace, but we shall not put it to the test, right? Hmm. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation, the deliverance of your souls. There's nothing sweeter than having conviction. What's worse than being insecure your whole life, living on borrowed convictions? I don't know, not much. There's nothing sweeter than having true conviction and truth, nonetheless. And that that faith that's behind that conviction was wrought, born of trials and tribulations. Things that God ordained for your life. And when you finally go through them, 
when you finally let go of the self-life. But I just can't live without my bow. Excuse me? You can't what? You can't live without that thing? You can't live without evil in your life? This is what you're trying to say? Oh. No wonder you're miserable. True conviction passes through real discomfort. Amen? Amen. One last note about this morning's lesson in the past, I don't know, year and a half of lessons on the gospel, salvation, repentance, etc. All of these lessons fit very nicely together. They all do. And in case you forgot, let me remind you that we have a wonderfully robust website. Going back to the Gospel Reload. Seriously. Thousands of hours of work into that thing. <laughs> Let's make a little more headway and then I'll, I'll close. I mean, I'm not going to get through my notes, obviously, but we are heading back to why are the apostles so encouraging? By grace they were prepared. If you recall, this is a while ago, we departed with a view of when the Lord Jesus Christ tested the apostles and Peter responded. This is when Jesus said, are you guys going to leave me too? He knew they wouldn't, but he asked them. He put their faith to the test. Peter spoke up for the crowd and said, Lord, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where are we going to go? Where are you going to go? So you didn't like this morning's message? Some of you? Where are you going to go? Honestly, where are you going to go? You going to go get milk? You going to go, what, find somebody that tickles your ears? Someone that is a coward? Someone who's timid? Someone who's selfish? Someone who's not going to challenge you? Where are you going to go? Honestly, where are you going to go? I'm not saying I'm the only guy teaching truth. But that's a question you have to ask yourself. It's the same question that Peter answered the Lord. Where are we going to go? This is the truth. You are literally the embodiment of grace and truth. You are the Messiah. Uh, uh, where are we going to go? Peter was convicted of this truth. The other disciples, some that weren't even saved, had no problem walking away. I think that's a, a novel concept. I don't. Jesus taught his disciples the value of conviction. Conviction is fruit of faith. They didn't have the conviction they had at the end of his ministry, at the start. Just like some of you. Some of you have convictions today that you, never, you didn't even dream you'd have two years ago. Didn't even know, didn't even didn't dream of it. And I'm not saying it has anything to do with me. It has everything to do with the content of these messages, of the spirit working in your lives, especially with the humble. You didn't even dream these things. You, you have convictions today based on faith that you didn't have yesterday, the day before, a year before, ten years before.
Faith comes from hearing. Hearing what? The word of Christ. That's how it happens. And sometimes when you hear the word of Christ, it goes like a fingernails on a chalkboard. <laughs> because your flesh is like going, oh, man. That hurts. That's right. And at the other side of that is perseverance, character, and hope. We've learned the following from Scripture on conviction. If you're saved, you'll have conviction in Christ because the Spirit of Christ will convict you. This was evidenced in Peter's famous words, Lord, to whom shall we go? Peter's words epitomized the one thing that separated the apostles from the rest of Jesus' quote, disciples, some of which weren't yet saved, a la John 6.64, 1 John 2.19, humility. If they had one thing, if grace is poured out, God gives grace to who? All right. So if grace is poured out to one thing in a person, it's humility. They had conviction. Conviction is an issue of faith. We receive faith by how? Grace. Grace is given to who? The humble. You see the string of pearls? If you're still arrogant and you don't want any of this, well, good luck with that. You're not going to have faith or conviction. You will live a life of not peace. What's the opposite of peace? How do you say? Misery. Thank you, Don. Thank you. You'll be miserable. Peter's words epitomized the one thing that separated the apostles from the rest of Jesus, the disciples, humility. Submission and surrender are fruit of humility, the essence of God's grace in salvation. I think I'll end one more thing. The challenge presented by Jesus Christ proves the following up here on the board. By grace they were prepared. Jesus taught his disciples to have their own convictions. I've tried to teach you the same thing thousands of years later as his under-shepherd. Have your own convictions. I, don't, it's, I mean, I suppose it's important that you think that my convictions are important because it does say imitate my faith. So that's important in your analysis of someone you're going to submit to. But assuming that's behind you, have your own convictions. Don't say, Pastor Ed said, or so-and-so said, or I read this great theological book by so-and-so, and it's so great. You know, it's so... Who cares? At the end of the day, I want your convictions to be like mine, not mine. Does that make sense? I want you to have your own, because that's what stands up under load. I'm not going to be with you at work when the, when the hits the fan. I'm not going to be with you at home when your spouse is an idiot. I'm not going to be at home when your, your, your kid is being completely disrespectful. I'm not going to be anywhere with you. So what good is it you riding, you know, you know I, and, and if I see your phone, I go, oh, nope, sorry, not home. <laughs> Ring, oh, sorry, not home. I'm busy. It's an emergency. You get like five and a couple, nope, sorry, not home. <clears throat> right? I want you to have your own. I want to be encouraged the way Paul said. Paul went to his flock and said, I really want to be with you, not just for, to teach to you. I want to be encouraged by you. I hear about your faith. Think of Romans. I hear about your faith. I want to be encouraged when I see it. What do you think I want to do? I want to look out here and see success stories. I want to hear about it. I want to, you know what I mean? That's, you're my 
crown of my joy. You, I mean, come on, think about it. Oh, gosh. Hmm. You know what I'm saying, Chris? I want you to have your own convictions. Isn't that what any, any person who uh, has an oversight, I'm thinking of a father right now, when your kid flies the coop, don't you want them to have their own convictions? Don't you want them to be able to stand up on the load? Isn't that your job? Isn't that your job? To train them up so that they don't crumble every time something happens? That you don't, you know, you haven't like enabled them in every possible way so that they just like, and then you can't get rid of them for like 70 years? I'm just being wise. Jesus taught his disciples to have their own convictions. He then gave them his spirit to teach, encourage, and empower this. We all have the word of and the spirit of Christ by grace. By grace they were prepared. I hope you're encouraged by all of this. Amen? All right, let's show the video. Smiling faces, fighting for surrender For now and the after, yeah Just look around and you see that people Are scared to say how they really feel Oh, we all need a little honesty, yeah. You Zeros, a light not expected, but not quite perfected. Yet. Look up, see the sun is shining. There's hope on a new horizon.
I like the message of that song. That you don't have to try to change yourself. You are loved, right? I think that's so much behind of this, this fleshly struggle to be someone you're not even supposed to be because that's what the world tells you. You're never good enough. You're, you're not lovable. You're, but yet God is love. And I think that's at the root of why people chase so many things for so long under the lies of Satan himself. Bards. Heavenly Father, thank you once again for gathering us together as family this morning. Thank you for always being real with us, for never allowing us an escape from the truth. Thank you for impressing upon us the word, the truth that sets us free, so that we are held responsible now held even to a higher standard, your standard of thought, behavior. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your love. Thank you for imparting them to us through our humility, for by faith we have convictions. Father, thank you for the trials that you've given each of us, as unique as they are. May we rejoice in them knowing that we are given endurance and perseverance as a result, character, and that wonderful thing, hope. Thank you for the proof that you've given us that these things are real, that your promises never wane, Special prayers go out to those that are still lost, Father, that we might have a hand somehow in seeing them saved. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Amen.